0: Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 4, John chapter 4, beginning verse 5 through verse 30. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. can this be the Christ? Then they went out of the town and were coming to him.
1: This morning, uh, we want to consider, again, uh, one of the seven deadly sins. For those of you who are visiting, uh, we've begun a series considering um, the classic seven deadly sins. And uh, this morning, we want to consider greed. Let's remember that as we consider these, that sin is always a parasite that takes what is good and repurposes it for evil. And as we consider a particular sin, let's also remember that it's often the alter ego of something good. It's also something good gone wrong. In our last sermon, we considered pride. And if you remember, we said that We're tempted to pride in self when we ought to be called to pride in God above. So this morning we consider greed. And again, if we go down through these words, um, not many of us consider ourselves as greedy. It's a rather harsh word. It's a rather declarative word. And we hear these labels tossed around in our in our country, in our media, that we must confront corporate greed. That every action towards a profit necessarily comes from a heart of greed. Uh, one, uh, One media warrior was saying that because McDonald's reduced the amount of cheese in their hamburgers, that they were greedy. They were squeezing a half a penny of cheese out of every burger to get more money from you. That's why they're doing it, because they want more money. We live in a world that has generally equated wealth with greed. That anyone who is wealthy, anyone who's been successful, has necessarily been greedy to get there. Now, for sure, many who are wealthy do have a heart of greed. The Apostle Paul warns us very, very, very strictly. Not To place our trust in wealth. And if you are wealthy, not to place your faith and trust in the fact that you've accomplished something. Jesus said that it's difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God, and we should take that warning seriously. But wealth and greed are definitely not synonyms. A dictionary would say, that greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. And I would say that that's that's, that's unnecessarily reductionist, because I think we can be greedy about things other than those three. The question for us this morning is to consider for ourselves, what maybe are the places in my life that I have succumbed to this idea of greed Greed is desiring, at its fundamental level, greed is desiring anything more than we desire Christ. Greed is finding rest and ultimate accomplishment in anything other than Christ. Greed is the alter ego of desiring our ultimate value and purpose to be found in Christ. If if I was to summarize greed in a simple statement. I would simply say that greed is being rich towards self versus being rich towards God. As a text, I'd like us to consider uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, What's printed in the bulletin is verses 13 to 21, Um, but the further I considered the entirety of this passage, the more I saw that 12 to 31 is merely a part of the wider passage And so, I'd like to begin at verse 4, and I will read to verse 34. So, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the bird's? sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." like us to focus uh, a little bit, again, on verses 13 to 21, but exist within a long-running story. And our primary focus is on the dissatisfied brother that we see in verse 13. And in the context of this meeting, of this story, we see if we look back in in verse 1 that thousands of people had gathered. So we have a wide multitude of people And they're coming after Jesus enough that they trample on each other, okay? So think um, a a movie star showing up on a street and the paparazzi and other people seeing to get a look at them, you know, just, you know, my life is now complete. I have seen an individual, a fellow human just like me, right? But we see that ridiculousness within our world. But this is what was happening to Jesus. And I think some of it was probably from a heart that wanted to be close to Jesus, but probably some of it was from a, well, this Jesus guy is pretty special, and I'll be special too if I get close to him, and that's what makes people run over each other. Um, people generally don't run over each other uh, meekly seeking truth. Um, they're generally looking for something for themselves that they desire. So people are rushing towards Jesus, preferring to be first in the show. And Jesus begins by noticing that, warns of the, what he calls the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, the seeking after something that we say, but our actions prove otherwise. And Jesus begins to teach them, and he tells them that the first thing that you need to do is to fear God, to be aware that while earthly men can do to you what they will, your ultimate fear should be of God, who can separate you from himself who can judge you as not worthy to be in His presence, who can send you to eternal damnation. And then he goes on to describe what does it mean to fear God? And what is the result of fearing God? We see in verses 4-7 to that the result of that fear is that we now have infinite worth. We now have infinite value. Value beyond the wealthiest man in the world. Because the Creator has called us His own. And we see He develops that further in verses 22 and on, where He talks about all of the things that the natural world shows us that are far beyond what humanity can achieve. But yet he says that those who fear him are more valuable. And so, in this sermon Jesus is preaching, he's telling us that infinite value and infinite worth comes from being known by God, comes from being one who fears God. And that within that reality, we should never shrink from declaring our connection to God never shrink from declaring our faith. So you you can imagine the the intellectuals in the group are processing through what Jesus is saying and and the Pharisees are trying to argue with him and, and this dude pops up and says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my money. What is of infinite worth to fear God? Give me my money. It's such a stark reality. And you look at the response of Jesus, and you see some pretty harsh language. It's like, man, who do you think I am? I'm not your local civil judge. I'm not an arbitrator. I'm the Lord of the universe. I'm giving you living water. I'm giving you that which will ultimately satisfy your soul. Jesus, tell my brother to give me money. And then he turns to use this, this as an illustration for these people. In a sense, he says, don't be like this guy. Guard against covetousness. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness and, and greed are basic synonyms for the, for the most part within Scripture. Because life does not consist in abundance. And then he tells this story that we are very familiar with. And we see a man who says to himself, self, you have made it. You have been successful. You have plowed the ground well. You have grown a great crop. You chose the right variety of seed. You watered it at just the right place. You put the perfect amount of fertilizer. You have done everything well. And you have much grain and much wealth. Well done, self. And then he says to himself, how can I keep as much of this as possible? How can I make my success sustain my life? How can I get the most out of this? How can I find in my successes as much prominence as possible? And God says, Fool, fool to think that by your success you could find ultimate worth, and happiness. Because as Jesus taught earlier, don't fear what can make you unhappy. Fear what can take your life from you and can separate you from God. In a sense, he's telling this man, you've missed the entire meaning of life. you thought that by success you would get life by the tail and have it figured out i don't think we're immune to this and honestly i think we're probably we probably succumb to this far more often than what we know but the reality is if we look at the extreme edges of the wealth in our world we don't find meaning and happiness we find multiple dysfunctional marriages. We find suicide. We find drug overdoses. We find sexual deviancy. We don't find people who have the world by the tail and have it figured out and are happy in every area of life. In fact, I would argue that in those In those far reaches of wealth, we actually find more depravity, more brokenness. It's because that the ultimate, if we seek ultimate satisfaction and wealth, we are pursuing a mirage. We're pursuing something that in the end will not deliver. And Jesus says, You have missed the greatest treasure in life, the hope of eternal life you have missed the greatest treasure in life, discovering the one who created you and gives you meaning. What is it that we are seeking? What is it that we give ultimate purpose to? What is it that we are passionate about? If it's something other than Christ, if it's something other than blending our life into His and allowing Him to shape us. God says to us, fool, you are pursuing folly. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and begins to instruct them. And he says, rather than pursuing your own wealth and your own means of belonging, don't be anxious about those things. He's not saying, give no thought to or just forget about it or be uncaring about it or don't worry about food or clothing in the sense that, you know, don't actually set yourself about finding food and finding clothing. But he's saying, don't make that the driving ambition of your life. Don't make that your ultimate source of purpose. And he follows this instruction with some things to consider. Consider the birds. Earlier he mentioned sparrows. Here he mentions ravens that have a beauty that's intrinsically theirs, that have a purpose that only they fulfill and carry out in in nature. And they do so at the goodwill and design of God. God created them to be something, and they are that. and, And God takes care of them. Consider the flowers whose beauty are beyond what any artist of any human form could ever create. In a sense, he's saying, consider that maybe, maybe the God who did these things has a greater purpose for you than to attempt to equal them. Maybe there's something more. and then he gives some instructions don't seek earthly but seek what is heavenly don't seek to build up yourself things that when you die will go, come to nothing but seek the things that humanity will you actually remember you for that will be of renown in the kingdom of god and then he gives us a promise fear not little flock For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not a building of your kingdom. In a sense, greed is saying, I want more of me. So we could ask the million-dollar question, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And there's probably about 250 different answers to what that would do. And your spending of that million dollars would be an expression of you, right? The things you value, the things you enjoy, the things you want. And when we pursue wealth, and we pursue that as a means of finding happiness, we're really looking internally. We're saying, if I get my heart's desire, if I get what I want, Then I will be happy. It is all to me looking internally for satisfaction. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is not found within, the kingdom is found in heaven. And then he warns us that what we treasure, what we pursue, is what will drive our desires. What we ultimately chase after will be shown in our desires. All right, I want to be clear here. I think among us, there's some who have been successful in life, some who have gained wealth by the work of their hands. And I believe it is the gift of God to reward those who labor hard and who gift their talents to God in the keeping of His world. When we pursue the kingdom of God, these things are greatly added. When we pursue bringing the character of God into our world, God rewards that. But the warning is clear don't trust in that wealth. Don't think that because you have money that you are somehow better or more worthy. As Jesus warns, that money buys you nothing when it comes to entrance into the kingdom of God. Only the wealth of Christ will be enough to pay the entrance fee. But on the other side of the coin, among us we have people who struggle deeply with money. And specifically, the lack of it. But the warning is the same. If you are poor, seek the wealth of Christ. Seeking earthly wealth as a means of deliverance is, is only exchanging one master for another. The master of poverty and the master of wealth are the same master. A writer has said, excessive elation in the possession of money and excessive depression on the amount of the absence of it are in fact, at the bottom, the same feeling. And the feeling is that money is the true divinity, besides which there is no other. We won't find, if we have a lack of money, we won't find meaning if we get it. If we have a lot of money, we won't find meaning in either getting more or in spending it on ourselves. Now, I think money is the the primary uh, place that we observe greed, but I think we can also do this in other areas of our lives and um, and so I think it behooves us to think, where in my life am I preferring my way, my values, my pleasure? Um, we don't necessarily use money to do that entirely. Uh, there's, there's many ways that we do that. In conclusion here, I'd like us to consider, what are some specific characteristics? What are some specific ways that we should be ruthlessly killing the sin of greed? And I, I would ask us three uh, particular questions. The first is, where does your mind wander When you're by yourself, when your mind gets to doing what minds do, uh, where does it go? And I, I have to admit that this is, this is my struggle, um, if, I, if only I could upgrade my car from this one to that one, then that would be better. And if only I could play more golf, if only I could have a house in the Outer Banks and a private jet to get me there, and if only I could build another house that my mind dreams up because I like to dream up houses, and if only, if only, if only, if only. We can let our mind go into those places in many different areas of our life. If, if only I had this business opportunity, if only I had that job, if, if only, if, if only. If only I could see that truly those things may be good, but in the end, they won't provide what I think they will. Where your mind wanders is a bit of a book of what your heart desires, or maybe the desires that your heart holds dear. So our response is to ask God to insert Himself into our wondering mind, to arrest us, to allow Him to inflame our heart with the gloriousness of His grace. May our minds often wonder into the joy of Christ. Secondly, where do you plant your trust for the future? I think it's good and right that we plan for the future. It's good and right that we save. It's good and right that we have retirement funds. It's good and right that we are working as best we know how to take care of ourselves, to do well for ourselves. The question is, where do you ultimately place your trust? Is your trust planted on the fact that, you know, my portfolio is growing and it's a good place right now? Or that... I've got some real estate and it's gathered value. Or that I made a good decision here and it's working out to bless me there. Is your ultimate trust in the future in your own ability or or maybe it's in your own inability? Because that's really the third question. Where are your ultimate fears? Are your fears that you haven't done well? that you haven't placed trust in in the places you ought to have, that you haven't done what you could have, and now you're kind of reaping those benefits. Where we ultimately place our trust and where we ultimately find our fears kind of betrays to us what we're trusting in. In this text, Jesus asks us many times to trust that God will provide, that his kingdom will be given to those who fear him. And that we don't, have to, we don't have to live in ultimate worry about the future. I think with, within that, our, our final instruction is to examine the things you seek. You see, the young man in the crowd was hearing Jesus talk about all these things, but ultimately what he seeked was, my brother's not doing me right and I'm not getting the money that's owed me. That was his primary reality that he simply could not escape. And so examine the things you seek. Examine the things you sacrifice for. Examine the things that make you upset if you don't get. Those are the places where greed uh, plants its roots. So our text, I believe, gives us a number of antidotes to those questions. And first is that we, we don't allow material cares to dominate our life. How do we not do that? I think in four specific ways. We consider the handiwork of God in nature that He maintains. We see what God is doing to bless the world all by himself, outside of our control, outside of our governing. We see the glory that is creation. It tells us of a God who cares, of a God who maintains. Intentionally, uh, secondly, intentionally seek God's kingdom, not your own. Again, greed says that I want more of me. We fight against greed by pursuing Passionately, the kingdom of God. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Build your treasure somewhere other than your own heart. Thirdly, anticipate the coming of God into your life above the mirage of wealth. You see, the ultimate success is not that we get what we desire, but that God comes more and more into our life, and we become more and more in line with who He is, and His character becomes more and more embedded in our hearts. Anticipate the coming of God into your life above the mirage of wealth. And fourthly and finally, verse 34 for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Guard your ultimate treasure. Guard that space. We can so easily allow those realities to dominate us. What is my ultimate hope in life? What is my ultimate and eternally sustaining joy? As we conclude, I'd like us to consider again Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You know, there's one thing missing from that picture. There's nothing you did. There's nothing you did that brought about the glory that we see. It's something God has done. And in the same way in your own heart, there's nothing you can do that can ultimately give you more pleasure, more glory than what the presence of God will. Let's have a song.